Expand and impact. Internal transformation for external impact. Achieve your goals without sacrificing yourself. I'm Violetta Znarkowski, but you can call me Violet. Welcome back to another episode of the Expand and Impact podcast, a space where we discuss how you can create a successful life that is an authentic expression of you, and where we also explore the intersection between personal development and gender equality. I am so inspired by the life of today's guest, Sonia Williams. Sonia has lived overseas, she's been to several Tony Robbins events, and has pivoted her career from employee to business owner and taught herself all about social media just as it was starting to become a hot topic before we knew for sure how big it was going to become in the landscape of our culture and our lives. What most stood out to me when speaking with Sonia is her deep level of self-awareness and open-mindedness. We get a glimpse into her life before and after she found meditation and how it impacted not only the way she saw herself, but her relationship with her husband and everyone else in her life as well. We talk about the power of spiritual connection, actively following your curiosities, and how important partner selection is when you're a high-achieving woman with big goals and dreams for yourself and for your life. Sonia talks about the importance of self-discipline and how you can start to increase both your resilience and discipline in areas of your life that you're wanting to elevate and see change in. She herself has an annual practice in self-discipline that some may say sounds a bit extreme or a bit crazy, but it sounds to me like she does it to remind herself what she's capable of and to shake up her routine. There also may be some tough loving in this conversation and episode as we highlight different ways many people lie to themselves and how sometimes things that seem small or minor actually have a big impact on your confidence, self-trust, and sense of worthiness. Sonia Crystal Williams is a digital marketing expert, a thought leader, and co-founder at Go-Getter Marketing Group a digital marketing agency based in Atlanta, Georgia. Sonia loves educating small business owners and entrepreneurs about how to expand their businesses by creating strong and actionable strategies, such as how to create 40 pieces of content in a day. She also teaches social media and marketing teams how to organize and plan content creation, build profitable ad campaigns, and analyze website traffic. Additionally, Sonia speaks to groups about leadership and personal development. She is a true testament in the power of the internal work to pivot your life in a direction that is most fulfilling, to cultivate deeper relationships, to being more courageous in your choices and your actions, and to releasing expectation and this controlling nature that many of us experience in life where we're white-knuckling and really pushing towards the things that we want and the type of success that we want while sacrificing our mental and emotional well-being in the process and not feeling deeply content and at ease in the inside. Sonia shows us that it's possible that you can have both. You can have it all. You can have the success and career that lights you up on the outside while also 
feeling deeply at ease internally and allowing that energy to impact your relationships in a positive and nurturing way. I just know you're going to love this episode and get so much out of it. Human first, human first. That's all I'm going to say because I feel like that's the only way to encompass the depth in this conversation and everything that we talk about. So without further ado, let's jump into it, shall we? What informs your identity? Ooh, what informs my identity? That's complicated. <laughs> um, <laughs> For sure. Kept. Yeah, I guess I have to think about how I even define identity. And then I have to think about what goes into that. And I guess it's complicated because I've really spent some of my time trying not to be an identity and just to be. I know that's a weird answer. No, I completely I guess I, resonate with that. Yeah. Okay. I think that there are roles that I take on. I take on the role as a sister, a, a wife, a mother, a daughter, a business owner, a friend. But I really try to think about certain things that I have gained from practice. And one of those would be probably meditation. And really letting some of that go. And in those moments where I am, I'd say, probably most dedicated, because I will say I fall in and out of the daily practice of meditation. I have moments or weeks where I'm not on it the same. But in those moments where I am, I try to remember that. I am spirit or I am a soul and we're here having this human experience and stepping back sometimes and observing myself. That goes into a lot of other things like emotions that come with those different roles that form identity. That's a different conversation probably, but that's how I try to think of it. So I think that's number one. But when I do think about those different roles that I'm in, that now form an identity. What informs that? How do I stay in touch with that, I guess, is like the question. How do I feed that? What goes into that identity? Probably what I just said. Probably daily practice of gratitude, daily mm-hmm. practice of meditating. When I And I hate to paint the picture that I'm a person that perfectly meditates every day. I'm not that. But, but when I do, I do. And really each day reminding myself of whatever it is that I'm that I want or that I set out for or that my goals are and usually for me it's one thing is really really way more important than the other so like for me the past probably 2 years my health has been the number one thing for me and nothing i would say nothing takes the the back seat to that everything's a priority but that is the number one thing So each day I have to rededicate myself to the remembrance and the practice of what I feel like I need to do for myself to have the level of health I desire. Mm -hmm. That's a really long answer. No, I completely, yeah, I appreciate that answer so much, Sonia. And what I'm picking up from it is that 
there's this duality between learning how to be in the world and within the labels that are projected on us and at the same time separating yourself from that and connecting with that realization that you are bigger than any label that anyone can put on you and how do those things work together and one word that you said that I absolutely love and it's so powerful is the remembrance I feel like we live in a world where we're always striving and looking into the future and grasping to become something to heal more to achieve more but a lot of this type of work is actually remembering who you are and your inherent Mm -hmm. power and your inherent worth. And that's what I'm picking up from how you explained that. Yes, you just put it way better than I did. No, I'm here to help. (laughs) I'm here to help. And and I love the way you worded it because it is complicated to talk about. Like these are concepts that they sound nice in theory, but to actually have a deep connection with what that means is a completely different experience. And it can be really hard to find the language to talk about these esoteric things, really. And I'm wondering, you mentioned that meditation is a part of your practice. I'd love to hear if it feels okay to share, of course, what your experience and journey with meditation was like, because I feel like I've had a tumultuous journey with meditation and I've gotten to the point where now it's a practice. Now it supports yes. me internally, but it wasn't always like that. In the beginning, it actually felt really painful <laughs> too. Yeah. So I'm wondering if, now, how your experience was. Yeah, that's real. I started meditating in 2007. And I remember the year just because I remember what was going on in my life during that time. Mm-hmm. And, but I, let's say this prior to 2007, when I, Graduated from college, probably within a year after college, I had bought my first townhome, first home I ever owned. And it was the first place also I had left my parents' house. I had roommates all through college. This was an intentional moment, I think, in that in my life. Um, I chose not to say, hey, because I, I, I got a two-bedroom townhouse. I didn't want a roommate when I first moved in because I thought this is a good opportunity for me to get to know me. I had also been in and out of long-term relationships as a young woman growing up, and they were long-term relationships. So I was like, oh, this is the time that I get to figure me out a little bit more. And during that time, I bought this book. I, I don't remember the name of it. I just remember the cover was green. This was when I first was also exploring, oh, I like going to the bookstore. And I bought this book, um, <laughs> and it was a book on Chinese meditation. And I remember one of the first things I did when I moved into that townhome, I remember sitting on the floor in my living room and thinking and had the book out. And I think I had a pillow. I was sitting on a pillow and I was like, I'm going to learn how to meditate. And this was like 2003, 2004-ish, something like that. I didn't really, I mean, I applied some of the principles from the book, but never came to full terms of whatever that method of uh, meditation was. But it did, it did, I think, begin to open up the idea of meditation for me. Fast forward to around 2007. By this time, I am dating my future husband. He goes through some 
just really tough things in life regarding just family. And on the heels of losing a family member that we were hoping to get to spend more time with, it was a young, he was only 16. It really changed some things for my husband internally. He also had been exploring meditation on and off. And he says to me one day, I think I want to find somewhere to go meditate. And I'm like, I'm down. I've been thinking about this. Let's do it. So we start out and we live in Atlanta. And we start out just looking for places. I think at the time Craigslist was still a thing. So I think we went on Craigslist, maybe in the local newspaper. That's so creepy Um, now. (laughs) It sounds so creepy now. now. (laughs) Yeah. So we, but that we was between Craigslist and there was also this local newspaper in Atlanta that tells you all the cool stuff to do. I don't even know if that newspaper still exists, but. We went digging those ways and just looking for, I don't know, a meditation class, a meditation center. We didn't exactly know what we were looking for. Um, We end up going to about three different places. Three were um, Buddhist and they were different forms of Buddhism. And each one was different in its own unique way, um, but none of them resonated with us. We end up finally, we find, it just says like meditation class. I think he found it and it's at a, it's in the, it's in a room on the backside of a church that like rents out extra space. This church has had extra space and we say, okay, I don't know. It didn't really describe much other than this is just like a meditation class. So we get there and um, there's a woman, her name is Norma and it was so different than what I imagined the way Norma taught meditation, we sat in chairs. We didn't sit on the floor. We sat upright. Some forms of meditation, you're taught to keep your eyes open. Some forms of meditation, you're taught to close your eyes. In her form, it was eyes closed, focusing on your third eye. And long story short, it resonated with both of us. And that practice that we came to begin going to regularly. It's called Kriya Yoga. And when we first started practicing, there were a lot of feelings I had because I had been raised Christian. Um, There was a part of me, although my entire life, there were certain areas where I struggled with Christianity as a religion, but definitely believe in God for me. But it, it felt like I was doing something bad. Although this practice of yoga was not about religion at all, actually. It was just about union with God. And it was meant to be open to anyone, no matter what your religion was. So it wasn't that this form of meditation is not a religious practice, I guess is the best way to put it. But it was interesting because at the time I hadn't started a business yet. I was this during this time I was doing pharmaceutical sales. And I would I my clients were doctors. And I would spend all my time each day going from doctor's office to doctor's office, talking to doctors, having lunches with doctors, having dinners with doctors. And I'm in the South. So (laughs) the question that always comes up is, yeah, where do you go to church? And I I would just freeze like, I don't know how to explain this to people because maybe it's not weird. And especially now, I feel like it's generally more accepted. But at the time, for me, it just felt like very unknown. And I don't want to say I felt shame. 
excuse me, I don't want to say I felt shame, but I just felt like I'm going to let them down if I tell them what my beliefs really are. And it also felt that way probably because of the idea that this is my job and part of my job is building rapport and trying to share things in common with people. It took a long time for me to get adjusted to that. Wow. That's yeah, huge a long time. Said. Yeah, that's really huge what you just said. And I want to take a moment just to sit with that because mm-hmm. what you said was this hesitation of really admitting not only to the external world and to others what you believe, but to yourself and to give yourself permission that that's okay. And I'm really glad that you brought up the um, conversation about meditation, that it doesn't have to be a religious practice or that it can be something that enhances your religious practice, whatever you believe in. And it doesn't have to separate you from those beliefs, but it can be another thing to add to how you see the world, how you see your beliefs and how you see union with a something that is outside of yourself, whether you call it God, whether yeah. you call it spirit, whether you call it universe, yes. however you define that for you, but also this journey of acceptance that it's okay to call yourself a meditator. It's okay to be maybe in practice with meditation and that it doesn't have to be a point of division. And yeah. Like you mentioned, you never know how people are going to react. You don't know their perspective. And it can be a really scary thing, especially in a professional setting, to go against the grain. Yeah. To admit that maybe you don't completely agree with everything that someone is saying or their own beliefs. And can you still coexist? Can you still collaborate towards a shared common goal? That is huge, 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 huge. Yeah. And I had to find my way through that. I had to, I look back on it now because I actually thought about this a few weeks ago and how I felt back then. And I'm like, gosh, I'm so far from that. Mm. Like anyone asking me like in a heartbeat, yeah, I meditate. Yeah, that's what I do. Second nature now. But back then to have that conversation, what was also probably scary during that time was the conversations that I would have with some of my friends or the dedication. When you, sometimes when you start on a path of something new, right? Like you go gung-ho, right? So there was a moment in time where I was pretty gung-ho and meditation to me is a very personal practice. So it wasn't gung-ho in a way that I'm telling everyone, hey guys, I meditate now and you should too. But it was gung-ho in a way that I was really trying to live every part of the practice that I was being taught and trying to go deeper into it and find my way. And within that, people are asking questions or people are wondering what's going on with Sonia and just all of those different feelings and conversations just led down that path of, okay, do I want to talk about this with friends or what friends do I have this conversation? Yeah, there was a lot there. And yeah, I think now I'm in a very different place. But it took years. It took years in the beginning of that to get there. Yeah. What you're describing is the question that every single human on the planet asks themselves, whether they're aware of it or not. Am I safe to be myself here? 
Is it safe for me to share my views and still belong and be accepted? Or am I going to lose people that I care about and love because I'm different or I'm the black sheep? I've definitely battled with that myself, and it's taken me years to come to a place of that acceptance, of learning how to accept the way I choose to live my life while also finding ways to connect with people who might not get it. And I think that's also a really beautiful long-term impact of meditation is coming to that place of deep deep acceptance of not only yourself, but also where other people are at on their journey and being able to yeah. observe life without judging it and without creating that division between like you and them. I think what got me, part of what got me more comfortable, at least while I was still in that role, was just also the skill. Partly, I think it came from meditation. Partly, it came from just like good sales training. Sounds like Um, it. (laughs) Yeah. But the skill of really, when I am with those clients, the conversation doesn't have to be about me. Mm -hmm. And I can gain more in building rapport with that client by asking them questions and giving them the space to talk about themselves. And then I might insert some stories or things like that here and there that um, are relatable. But the beautiful thing that you see so many celebrities do really well, I was just talking to someone about this the other day. So the Beyonce concert is, I think, in Detroit and coming to Atlanta soon. And I was like, she controls her narrative so well. And it's true in life, like we don't have to be a celebrity to do that, but you can be in control of what you want to share and how much you want to share. But there's also to me something to it because the conversation, you don't always have to make the conversation about you anyway, Mm -hmm. be genuinely interested in people. And I think for me that, again, that comes from maybe a little bit of good sales training, but a little bit of just maybe meditation and then probably other trainings and conferences and things I've gone to help me figure out what's important to me and what my needs are. This triggers the thought. I've gone to several, you and I have talked about the several Tony Robbins conferences. And there's this, I don't know if it's a chart, whatever. In one of his events, he talks about six basic needs and a couple of them that we all do it, but a couple of them are significance and where the ego fits in on all of this. Mm. And when you are more conscious about who you are, and then you're genuinely trying to get to know other people, sometimes significance can fall down. That ego or that need to talk about yourself can calm down a little bit when you start becoming more aware of some of those things. Wow. It's interesting. That's really interesting. And I've never heard it explained so well. I've had this experience, but I haven't quite put the words to it yet. And you just did it for me. That's so powerful. And I completely agree with you that in order to be able to genuinely listen to others and take interest requires you to have that deep connection to self and to learn to listen to yourself so that the part of us that is like seeking attention, seeking validation, isn't leading all of our interactions and isn't leading and showing up in all of our relationships. And whether this is like in a professional or personal setting, at least for my experience, like it's interconnected. Like we cannot separate the professional from the personal 
And how you do one thing is how you do everything. And whatever tensions you experience professionally or stress or anxiety in your relationships or any conflicts, if you really take the time and meditation is such an amazing practice for this, you'll start to notice that thread in almost like all of your other relationships. And it's, I guess, that practice of like gently pulling the thread so that everything that it's whole, like that it's like tying together with different knots can fall into place and fall into our true essence. That part of us that is beyond all of the drama of the world, all of the Mm -hmm. seriousness too. You mentioned like the significance starts to drop. It's like we become less serious and our interactions start to become less serious. And when we can reframe that and really integrate it that's when like true magic happens and that's when you can really make those conscious decisions for yourself and for your life and like you did decide to completely pivot careers and accept that perhaps you want something different and that's okay it I think that what you just said like that significance dropping I think for me the way it played out was it increased my confidence and and probably part of it yeah eventually I did leave that that position I was in and that was the last kind of quote-unquote corporate job I was in before choosing to set off into launching my own business full-time but I was in a very partly it was inflated (laughs) I was just really I was listening to so many probably YouTube videos, Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn and all these people. And I was like, man, I can do it. This is the time. But I love that combination. Because I feel like like I've been there. (laughs) So, you know, you know. And so there's that, that all that pump up going on in your head. And it's, but that's real too. I don't want to say that's just false motivation. It it was real for me. And, but I definitely felt like I'm on top of the world. I can do anything. I'm going to leave this job and boom, it's going to all work out. And and, and it did. Really. Yeah. And then you hit a rock bottom and you're like, oh, this is harder than I thought. Yes. <laughs> but there was a lot of work going on for me prior to taking that leap. And it did start with meditation. And then as I took the leap, like it didn't stop there. I think that leap And that, again, like that confidence and some of those things probably influenced me to make some of the decisions. When there's things I would look back, if I were to do it all over again, I would definitely do differently. But one of the simple things from all that excitement and motivation was, okay, I need to find a coach so I can have someone hold me accountable. Because once I chose to set off on my own to start a business, like who, there's no boss, your client, technically, you could say like that to some degree, or your clients, you answer to your clients. But technically, I have to motivate myself to get out of bed in the morning. I have to motivate myself to create a schedule and be accounting and HR and marketing and sales and all those different things. And so a lot of that work that I was doing internally, coupled with, for me, it was all about YouTube at that space in my life. It was a lot of that influenced me and helped me set on that path. Yeah. I think there's just so many, it's like a puzzle Yeah, (laughs) and we're moving through it, trying to put the pieces together, but I was, yeah, I was in a confident place and 
I think just a series of things led me there. I'm wondering if it's okay if I can ask a little bit more about that confidence piece. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. One, I'm wondering. Go ahead. I'm wondering, yes. Sonia, if you've noticed your confidence change and like the quality and the energy of that confidence, because you mentioned that you were riding that high of motivation, riding that, like being in that part of yourself that's, heck yeah, I can do anything. I'm feeling that motivation. Tony Robbins signed me up, going to break norms, going to change paradigms, going to create the life of my dreams. And you did. And it got you to take that action, that initial step. And I'm wondering if you've noticed that confidence within you that made you that propelled you to take that first step if that's changed over the years and how that feels now in your body yeah that confidence yeah okay so for me this is an age thing I think that I started my business right before I turned 30 so I think that in my 20s as a person there was the confidence probably was a little bit arrogant it was the I know everything And yeah, you could teach me some new stuff. I remember getting into debates with my dad, but it's this way, just Mm. typical things. And then probably when I got into my 30s, it wasn't as arrogant. It was, oh, I don't really know that much. So there's a lot I need to figure out and I need to be open to figuring some of those things out. But maybe still in that process as I was figuring things out, I still had, again, a little bit of confidence, but There were those moments, particularly, I'd say, as a business owner, yeah, this was a big one, was pricing, Mm -hmm. not knowing my value or thinking, I need to not charge as much because I'm new Mm -hmm. to business or I'm not as experienced. I don't don't exactly know who I'm competing with out here. What do I charge a lot Mm -hmm. when I first launched my business for many, many years? Knowing I should take the prices up, taking sometimes any project that kind of seemed to be a little bit of a good fit and then figuring it out. And we live and we learn. I was confident, but not confident enough to always ask for my value. Mm. Sip of water. (laughs) That's okay. What a cool cup. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Got this recently. Yeah. Side note, I love collecting cups. Yeah. I try not to do it. It's a guilty pleasure. And so I was like, now I'm just going to gift them to other people. I like buying cute cups and mugs. Yeah. I bet your kitchen cupboards are like flooded with just a bunch of mugs. (laughs) I keep it in check. I keep it in check. (laughs) Now it's just gifts. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it is. But if you get a mug for me, I love you. Oh, I love that. (laughs) okay but yeah but yeah in my 30s um so still confident but yeah not always knowing my value okay I'm in my early 40s um I I it is one of those things as you get older I do feel more seasoned Mm -hmm. I do feel more polished I don't feel like I know everything but it's a different type of confidence it's a knowing and that's a little different than before. I remember when I was in my 20s, one of my friends that I went to college with made a joke because I talked to myself and I pumped myself up. And I remember her making a joke like, yeah, I could tell when you think you got something because you'll just walk off and you'll be like, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> your head. 
like, what's wrong with that? Yeah. But that was that that was the twenties confidence. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Get out of my in way. My 40s, I'm coming through. <laughs> yeah. But in my forties, I don't have that. I don't need to do the head bounce. I don't need to do the yeah, I got it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That sounds good. I don't have to do that anymore. But I am still, I, I always say I'm a work in progress. I'm still figuring things out. I'm still the life that I have created thus far is definitely by design. And I do believe I live with intention. I'm not out here just randomly doing things, but I also know it's not complete. Mm-hmm. There's more work to do. And so I think that there's a confidence and a knowing in that space, but it's also knowing there's a lot more yeah. and that in the grand scheme of things and in the universe, I am young. <laughs> yeah. Forever young. Yeah. Something that I really appreciate that you named was the different quality of your confidence. and. What I'm picking up, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds to me that with the inner work and the inner journey that you've been prioritizing for decades now, the confidence has actually become more integrated. And it's really rooted in self-trust as opposed to a need to show others that you can do it and that you're capable and that you're worthy. And that self-trust and that self-worth is stronger now. And I'm a believer that it's a work in progress always. And my self-worth has increased tremendously over the years because I've actively worked on it. And it wasn't passive. It was an active decision and an active thing that I did in my life. And with each new chapter that I enter, I noticed that self-worth like bubble up and I'm like, oh, and now there's another layer to the onion that has been peeled back that I need to integrate and deal with, that it's that it's there. The foundation is solid. The trust is solid. The self-worth is solid enough, but it falters and it wobbles with different yeah. challenges and different chapters of my life. And it's an ever-evolving process to get to that next iteration of your identity, of your evolution Mm-hmm. You need to continue to turn inward and you need to continue to learn to hold the things that wobble beneath the surface. Because with yeah. any expansion, any movement forward, there's going to be those things internally that are trying to hold us back, trying to keep us comfortable, trying to make us second guess ourselves. But that foundation, that steadiness, like that's permanent. And like when you can rely on that and that inner knowing, like you mentioned, I love that, that like terminology, that knowing, if you can stay connected to that inner knowing, it doesn't matter what happens on the outside because you know that you've got it and you don't need to prove to someone that you've got it because you've already proved it to yourself. And that's so powerful. I think you put that so eloquently because it's, that's exactly what it is. It's the integration of the confidence now. So yeah, I think definitely it feels that way. But the self-trust, yeah, that's a great way to put it because that is everything. And to your point, I'm still faced with challenges in my identity and my personality and Mm -hmm. in dealing with emotions, right? There's that person or that conversation I might have that just might start to send me over the edge, right? Mm -hmm. And, And then it's, the recognition of that and how do I work through it? And having that self-trust does help give me the confidence that I can and I will. 
And I think that self-trust, to your point, it has to be developed. And I think there are some things that I have done consciously that have developed that self-trust. A really good example would be, that there's a couple of things I've done. So I, I mentioned that my health has been a huge priority mm-hmm. over the past couple of years. So one example I'll give, and again, this might sound crazy to some people, but for me, again, act of self-trust, it wasn't just about doing what I did physically. It was about a lot of other things attached to it. So a year ago, my husband, me and him are very much on the same page. And sometimes I'm just down to do some of the things he wants to try. (laughs) Sometimes, only sometimes though. (laughs) My partner's into jujitsu at the moment. I'm like, count me out. Yeah, like you're, you're on your he, own. he wants to do that too. Yeah. But I looked at videos and I, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. One. But, but yeah, the, so he's also very much into his health. And about a year ago, he started doing some research on fasting and comes to me one day and says, Sonia, I think I'm going to do a seven day water only fast. And I'm like, what does that mean? Tell me like, no, it means water only for seven days. <laughs> oh, Okay, why and what are the benefits? We go down that path and explore the benefits. He sh- we look at videos on TikTok and YouTube of people sharing their experiences. And why would I do a seven-day water fast? It has to do with, it's not about weight loss per se. It's about cellular regeneration and all these other little things, cleansing the body, all that kind of stuff. And I'm into that kind of stuff. So long story short, I'm like, I research it. I look at because I also, I'm a, a small person. So I, when I see things like that, I'm like, I don't know, should I do that? Is that right for me? He, different body types. And, but I researched it from my point of view and was like, okay, I'm willing to give this a try. I don't think I'm going to do seven days. I'll commit to five. So we enter into this fast last spring was the first time we did it. Um, and I bring all this up back to self-trust. Number one, I committed to do it. And I can't remember who said this. It might've been, gosh, I can't remember who said it, so I'm not going to say. But in walking into something like that, when you say, and when I say you, a person, and when a person says, I'm going to do this, and you commit to it, when you don't commit to it and you cheat, what does that do for most of it? It hurts mm-hmm. our confidence. We've essentially lied to ourselves, mm-hmm. right? It breaks self-trust. Now, don't get me wrong. If at any point during that five days I felt ill for good reason, I would have broken the fast. But it's something I committed to, not just for the act of what it, the benefits I would get physically, the cellular regeneration. Yeah. I lost a little weight in the process. Waste went down, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's nice. Skin, great. All that. It was also about, can I be disciplined Mm -hmm. enough to actually go through this process and come out on the other side knowing, oh, I actually have Mm self-discipline. And I can actually tell myself I'm going to do something and I can actually do it and see it through. So that might be extreme, but there are little things like that I do for myself. And I, after that 
after we did it last year, we both committed to doing it annually. So we did it again this year, but I've committed to that annually. And for me, it's an annual practice in self-discipline. And what does that do? It helps continue to build into that self-trust. And that's huge, you know? Yeah, I love that example because it does seem extreme, right? But it's not the first thing that you decided to do. And by the sounds of it, correct me if I've got this wrong, it sounds like you did a lot of smaller things throughout your life to build up to the point where you could commit to something that is more intense and has a higher intensity, maybe higher risk, because you know yourself enough to know when you are forcing yourself to be disciplined with your ego and Mm -hmm. when to walk away. And when that discipline is actually starting to have a negative impact on your health and being, and it does come back to that self-trust, it does come back to that self-connection. And I think many listeners can relate to the idea of discipline, of practicing discipline in different areas of their life. And it looks differently. But the challenges and the thing that we're all learning when we act with intention, when we live with intention and curiosity is what's the difference between discipline from the ego and discipline from self? Yeah. And let me add to that because, yeah, as you were saying that, again, that me doing it the first time wasn't, yeah, I'm gonna challenge myself. I'm gonna take on this challenge or I'm gonna beat him. I'm gonna outdo him. Or I just didn't look at it as a challenge. So for me, it wasn't, this is a challenge and I'm challenging myself. It looked at, I truly looked at it as this is a form of self-discipline. And for me, the precursor, one of the precursors to that was years before I had done a workout called P90X mm-hmm. and I did all 90 day. It's a 90 day program through like Beachbody, one of those workout apps. And I did P90X and I did it to the core. I followed the meal plan. I followed the workout plan. I stuck with it even in days where I was traveling mm-hmm. and I had to work out at 10 p.m. I did it when during that time that I did it, which was years prior, we didn't have apps on our phone the way we do today because I did that workout the very first time around 2009 or 10. So I, what did I do? I think I like held an audio recorder up to the DVD so that I could get it Stop onto it. my I, Yeah, my, I don't even know what it's called now, iTunes. I don't even know what the device is called. Um, iPad, iPod, iPod, no? iPod. iPod, yes. yeah, like iPad. Not iPod. Generation. I, I bought a digital recorder. I held it up to my DVD and recorded the workouts on audio so I could get them on my iPod because I knew I was going to be traveling and I didn't want to miss my workouts because you could do them with bands like you didn't have to have weights with you. Anyway, I say out to say when I finished that 90 days, that was the first time in my life. Yeah, I got a college degree and all those things. Great, great, great. Did what was expected of me. This was something I did 100% on my own that I felt actually very proud of. Mm. And I was like, I did this. I went all the way through it and I did it to the T with the meals and everything, bought the groceries, did the cooking, like, and that was huge. Mm. And so, yes, fast forward to the difference when you're working for self versus ego. And yes, I could come back to that fast and have a conversation with Sonia, you did that you can do this. 
And I was nervous going into it because I've never done a fast. I don't even know if I ever done a 24 hour fast. It wasn't about the food. Even Mm -hmm. like when I talked to a couple of close friends and family members that I did it, it wasn't that was just a whole nother thing because it taught me a lot about my relationship with food. But it Mm -hmm. wasn't about hunger. It really was about the discipline for me. And when I did it this year, I did do the full seven days because I knew I could, but it was very much coming from a place of discipline and knowing itself. I want to highlight something that you said that I think is an important thing to explore is how you noticed by challenging yourself intentionally and from a space of like curiosity and self as opposed to force and the ego is that you also uncovered information about your relationship with food and it doesn't have to be food but our relationship with anything in life and something that comes to mind for me personally when I think of the first challenge that I did intentionally for myself was when I was 21 so in America 21 is when you can start drinking But I'm Polish-American, so when I spent summers in Poland, obviously was drinking younger. So like that polarity was actually really interesting for me to navigate as a teenager and as a youth. But this being said, that 21, when you're legally allowed to drink in the U.S., I decided to do a year of sobriety. And Mm. I was like to the people on the outside that sounds really young because you're like and I'm still in college I'm in university I was still going out to parties but what that taught me is deciding to say no to alcohol was noticing my relationship with other people and one of the reasons I decided to stop drinking for a year was because I noticed I was dependent on the drink to feel comfortable in social situations And that I always felt awkward, like coming into like going to a house party or like being around new people. And I didn't know how to be myself completely. I didn't know who that was yet. I was awkward. And I started to notice like that dependency on the drink to be as a barrier to be able to be more myself. But like under the influence, you're never more yourself. You're just an aspect that we're maybe suppressing that starts to come to the surface. But it's not your true self. It's not your self-trust that's really at the center because our like our reflexes and responses to life are under influence. And that was such an empowering experiment for me to do, especially at such a young age, because up until that point, like you mentioned, I did what was expected of me. And even if they were like noble achievements or challenges, like athletic challenges or pursuits or whatever... It didn't feel like it was something that I chose. It felt like something that I was maybe pushed into or encouraged to do. And there were like voices around me guiding that experience or guiding my own motivation and discipline. But this was the first thing that I decided to do by myself where I had to hold myself accountable and it completely opened up my eyes to my relationship with one drinking and other people and myself, most importantly, if I need this, do I even trust myself to be around people? And like, how can I get more comfortable starting conversations and meeting people and connecting without a drink? It's such an interesting experiment. And I feel like it highlights what you discovered about yourself and your challenge with your relationship to food, 
unless you intentionally challenge yourself, you are not going to have the awareness or opportunity for awareness to notice your relationship with these things in your life. Yeah, that's it. Your experience is truly parallel to, yeah, some of what those discoveries were that you just never would have thought about it. I never would have thought about or realized for me when it came to food, some of my dependencies, some of the things that I would do. And I use that now. I use it as a tool to have that conversation and really let that extend. And it it makes you, in a sense, even to your point, more aware because food is like one thing, right? But what are like the other things that we tend to do? And that's, I think, part of also what I'm starting to discover for myself. Like where are these other gray areas where I'm not fully aware Mm. of something I'm doing? And now that it's brought to my attention, I can put more energy around and make the choice too. Like, do I want to do anything about it? Because that comes to, they say that comes with age, right? Do I, do I want to be stubborn and just set in my ways and maybe, and or I recognize this, do I want to do something about that? And how does that impact me? And then I do think, you know, also, how does that impact people around me? How does that impact my Mm -hmm. husband? How does that impact my children? For me, that this whole part of what even set me on the path of paying much closer attention to my health beyond like just general things like I just, hey, I want to be in shape is I have young kids. Like I want to be physical. I want to be able to roll around on the ground with them and do Mm -hmm. cartwheels and whatever else my three-year-old wants to do. And I had her at 39. So I got to (laughs) <laughs> I gotta take care of myself. I want to see some grandbabies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And be able to keep up and interact with them, right? And feel confident exactly. in your body and your mind that you yeah. can do State that. State of life. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you said, you mentioned choice. And this is such an interesting thing to identify that I think needs to be pushed in everyday conversation more is a lot of people feel this experience of stuckness and like a lack of choice in their life. And actually setting yourself on these like intentional challenges and exploring your own discipline opens up that awareness for you to choose. Yeah. And when you stay in your routine and continue to live on autopilot without doing things differently, and it doesn't need to be extreme, like even a like a fast, it could be taking a different route to work. It can be yes. going on a different path. Like when you're going on your daily walk, your, your mental health walk, highly recommend <laughs> yes, on a daily yes. mental health walk. But these like little things of breaking up your routine is what actually builds awareness. And with awareness, we have choice. And when we have the ch- power to choose, we have the power to create the life we want. And I'm wondering how that for you specifically, because you went from working basically in corporate, completely different to starting your own business. How was that journey of transition? Because something that I'm sensing, especially when you were talking about the seven day fast and choice, is that there may have been a time where you choosing to do things differently didn't sit well with the people around you. Mm-hmm. Have you had that experience? Yeah. Yeah. 
I say that, but I also say that I'm probably, I can be good at tuning out noise. Mm-hmm. I would say those moments probably didn't get to me to the extreme. But yes, when I first left the role I was in, corporate world, probably for a good five years after I left, my parents were still sending me job announcements. They didn't get it. Is that a real job? What do you do all day? Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, I know. Firsthand, I know. So there was that piece. <laughs> and they were, my parents are incredibly encouraging. So they meant well. And that's the thing sometimes when things don't sit well with people around us, it's not always that they have bad intention or they want to see you fail. It's just so different to what they might expect or are used to. And my conversations with my parents now are very different. They would not dare send me a job announcement. My dad just the other day, we were having a conversation about AI and he was like, yeah, you should get on top of that. That needs to be part of what you do. And I'm like, what? What? Okay, dad. So that's huge. I think with friends... Okay, so I'm in my late 20s, and this was before, right around the time I got married, but generally speaking, right, before he put a ring on it, I'm single, (laughs) and I'm out having fun, and it's like, why aren't friends, might look at it, why aren't you doing the things that we're doing, or want to do some of the things we're doing, you're just on a different page, but I've looked back in retrospect, and I've always been on a different page, so... The people close to me also, even though they didn't have a full understanding, had somewhat of an understanding, she's just doing what she does Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to let her. So I would say no relationships were detrimental in that sense where, and even if there was, I would say, no, I will say this. I probably, I won't say I lost a friend or two. Not so much directly on what I was doing, but on my feeling of their lack of confidence in me as a person mm-hmm. and having feeling like sometimes the conversations would turn in a direction like, I don't really need this in my life, so I don't really need to have this conversation. If this is the conversation every time I'm around this friend or person, mm-hmm. I probably don't need it. So I'm going to let that go. So I will say this, and I don't know if that was only because I was in business or just, again, meditation and just other, my relationship with my husband, all these other things going on in my life all at once. And again, it not feeling like maybe with that friend, oh, this isn't aligned with who you were in college. Well, of course not. We grow, mm-hmm. we change, we evolve, we shift. And some friendships to me, I've come to realize are for a season and it's okay to let some of those pass. So I think those were probably along the way, some of the challenges that I encountered. And then, yeah, at some point, again, as that confidence, that silent confidence is rising, I'm doing the self-work, then it's also a recognition of they are who they are and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And if we had a big disagreement and words were exchanged, we can forgive, but it doesn't mean that you have to be in my inner circle. So I'm way more tight about that these days of who I confide in. And at the end of the day, my husband, my mom, and my sister are probably my best friends. <laughs> those mm-hmm. are probably the, the three people in the world I talk to the most. And everyone else, I have close friends and people that I love and hold dear. But yeah, at the end of the day, 
those are the people that know me well and the relationships. And I still make lots of new friends, but they're very intentional. I, I, and I come back to that word intentional because the relationships I built with people now, even as friends, are intentional. Me and a few other friends created, and it's just a small group of us, about five group, five of us in a group. We created, we call it a mastermind. I don't know if it's really a mastermind. At the time we created it 10 years ago, we didn't know each other. We did it on purpose. We chose to create a circle of people that we all agreed we would be vulnerable with each other in business, at least, because we all had either were working a high level career or mm. were in business for ourselves. And we wanted a circle of people we could trust and confide in. And we intentionally chose each other because we did not want to create a circle where there would feel like judgment based mm -hmm. on someone knowing the other person's past history or too much about them. So it was a group of people we knew each other, but not well enough to say, hey, we're really good friends. Now we're good friends. and that, But that circle still exists. We still meet once a month. It used to be once a week. Then it was every other week. Now it's once a month. We have breakfast together. And that's part of the choosing of how I try to keep that balance and the right people around me as some of those other relationships in the past have shifted. Mm, I love the intentionality behind not only your decisions, but the way you framed that. Because I think one of the biggest fears that I notice when people are like considering to embark on like the inner journey inner work for outer aligned success is what we're talking about here. You could have stayed in that corporate job, but with your newfound awareness and exploration of self, you decided that you wanted something different. But I think one of the biggest fears that comes up is how will my relationships change? And what does that mean about me? What does that mean about our relationship? And there's a lot of truth that some people are there for different seasons of your life. and. I think this is like the next layer of the onion that we can learn to belong and to connect with people who don't get it and intentionally choose to invite people that do get it into our life so that we're not yeah. compromising ourselves all the time or changing conversations or like changing our like style of speaking or the things that we're going to talk about because the people around us aren't on the same page with that, but we can actually intentionally keep people in our life even if the relationship has changed and invite new people and like actively seek new relationships for this aspect of yourself that you're growing into and that you're exploring and that you're becoming or remembering mm -hmm. to use your beautiful yeah. words remembering who you are and where you want to go and I want to be really mindful of your time because I know it's like almost midnight or after midnight with where you are before I ask the last question, is there anything else that feels important or like a well of inspiration within you to share based off of what we're talking about? Yeah, as you were saying that, even with relationships, I did have one other thought and, and maybe this is inspiration um, for others. Um, but one other thought I had about relationships that change, I didn't talk about the one in my household which is with my husband. Because again, around all this time, I met my husband shortly after college. We got married right around the time that all this was happening. I was quitting my job. I was starting this new thing. He had already been in business for himself maybe two years prior, two or three years prior. And some things in our relationship did change. Mm. Some for better. Some I had to figure some things out along the way, mm -hmm. especially being a new wife. 
But one of the things that actually I learned through him, so he had, my husband's in real estate and he had started out, which if you're in real estate many times, you're basically an independent contractor. So you're working for yourself. And when I was still in corporate, I would help him with little things here and there in his business. But I don't think at that time, I didn't truly get what it was like to wear all hats for him. And at the time he started his business, this was right around the big recession, like around 2009-ish. So he had a lot of weight on his shoulders and quit my job during the recession. Wow. That's- yeah. Again, arrogant confidence. Didn't necessarily think about that. So again, some things I would do differently, but I did. And I also said to myself, because when I left that job, I didn't just leave, actually. I feel like I attracted it. That's probably a whole nother story. And the way I attracted it, long story short, the company was actually doing voluntary exits. But this came about six months after I had already written the date that I wanted to end that job in my journal. That sounds like a so the company thing. And this was before <laughs> I went to that event. This was just pure. This was actually around the time I was actually listening to The Secret on audio every day. Uh, yeah. And so I wrote down what day I wanted to leave that job. And then roughly six months later, they make this announcement for voluntary exits. I say, all right, I'm going to throw my name in the hat because I only had 300 slots across the whole company. And I worked for a pretty large company with probably 50,000 plus employees. So I'm like, I don't know, but let's just throw my name in the hat and see. And I got a letter back a few weeks later saying it was accepted And the termination date on my letter was the date in my journal. No way. I'm not surprised. Like a part of me is like shocked. Wow. Look at that aligning. But then the part that has learned to deeply trust in the universe and timing of life. I'm not surprised. Of course, it was that exact date. Of course. Exact date. Yes. Amazing. But I say all that to say, again, so I walked out of that job with a severance package and the knowledge of, all right, I got six months of severance. I can stretch that, make that a year. And so I got a year to figure this out. And all that to say that relationships that change. So in my own household, one of the big shifts we had was within that year Mm -hmm. of really getting out and trying to figure out how to grow this business. So the, the line of work I'm in is digital marketing and social media. 2009, that looked a lot different than it does today. So my first year was just like, tons of conferences in at the time saying, oh, the social media thing sounds like there's something to it. And maybe I should learn how to do that for business owners. Mm -hmm. And so it was me self-teaching and trying to figure out how to do all of that. And then trying to still make some money and then trying to execute projects. And the dynamic between me and my husband shifted to, oh man, I could see like when I was giving you grief for not doing this or not doing that or us not spending time together when you were Mm -hmm. starting your business. Oh, I know what that looks like now because here I am. And he would make the joke for years beyond that. What would he call me? Like just a little computer pecker because I would be up (laughs) all night at midnight on the couch, always at my laptop, always working, working, working. So it did shift some things in our relationship, but a lot of it was for the better and -hmm. having that understanding of each other. So you asked also like a bit of inspiration. So on that note, partner selection, 
huge. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you are on this journey with someone, let it be someone that you can feel open to have those deep conversations with that someone, hopefully, if you're seeking growth, is also seeking growth because just there's nothing like that in those moments where you're trying to really figure things out. Even if they don't have an answer for you and you're mm-hmm. both seeking growth, like me and my husband, we, again, we found meditation together. It's a very separate journey, but I'm grateful for some of those things we have in common that led us down that path. And then again, beyond that, just on an individual tip, and I think it's been the theme is, again, live with intention. Do things purposefully. That was, there's a quote, again, somewhere floating out there from something I've heard throughout the years, which is do it on purpose. Like, Mm -hmm. try to live your life that way. Some of us can say we're lucky. I don't know if it's luck so much as it is, again, just alignment with the right opportunities. And as you said, aligning Mm -hmm. with the universe and putting yourself in a position for those beautiful things to unfold. Yeah. So I I love that so much. One last, I just want to add to what you said before we transition to the last question about partner selection, because a lot of our listeners are like strong, ambitious women. And I think one of the hardest things to actually learn to accept is to lean on that support. There's like this idea with like modern feminism that you have to do it alone, be strong and independent. And hyper-independence actually is not that great. And it does stem from like an egoic quality and maybe a lot of insecurity. And if we can learn to lean into our partner in those times where we're not so strong and allow ourselves to falter and wobble and stumble without having to hold this appearance that like we can handle it all on our own. It just allows for so much beautiful opportunity because we're not meant to do this life alone. And it's you can, but do you really want to? Like we're social beings and whether people admit it or not, it's like we all want to end up with someone who sees us, someone that can hold, hold us. And a part of even talking about the universe and like how life is it's cyclical but it's also cyclical in the way that if you're the one giving you have to learn to receive as well and there has to be that natural balance and ebb and flow in life and it's really scary to be vulnerable it's really scary to look inward but sticking on that path of intentionality and really being mindful of how can you live on purpose, what does that look like for you in this stage of your life can absolutely and will absolutely open up opportunities in life, relationship, work, business, like wilder than your wildest dreams. And it sounds cliche, but I believe it. I feel like we're both true, living yeah. it. And there's so many examples to support that if you choose to believe in it. <laughs> Agreed. I love it. Sonia. Our final question then, when and where do you feel most like yourself? Oh, I think we just alluded to it with my husband. When I'm with him, wherever he is, I am not a homebody per se, but I love my home. And so I definitely feel like I'm myself at home. I feel like I'm myself in my yard nowadays, barefoot touching the ground, feeling the earth, like 
and in the summer specifically, I am definitely a warm weather person. I feel, I feel in touch. I really do. And that feels good for me. But beyond that, yeah, I think my husband around my children, my family, this family I've created, I'm truly most myself. I love that. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sonia. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I hope there are parts of you that felt seen while listening to this conversation with Sonia. I hope that there are parts of you feeling expired and even maybe asking questions that you weren't considering before tuning into this conversation. The best way to stay connected with Sonia is on Instagram at her handle Sonia Crystal or LinkedIn or her website directly, which is soniacrystal.com. Now, if you loved what you heard today, the best way that you can support this podcast is by sharing it with three friends or taking it one step further and leaving a five-star written review on iTunes. We have a big goal of reaching and connecting one million women who have the desire to learn, grow, and live and lead from a place of inner alignment, confidence, self-trust, authenticity, and inner peace. And by sharing this episode with friends or colleagues, you can help us reach this audacious goal. This is how generational change happens. One woman reclaiming her voice and her power at a time. As always, take what resonates and leave what doesn't. Cheers to your health, wealth, and happiness, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Remember, expansive education plus inspired action equals an impactful life. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at expand and impact. <laughs>